Welcome everybody, I trust you are blessed and I trust you've been enjoying this series on Colossians. You know, such an ancient book, eh? Like 2,000 years ago, written to a, a little town and yet it's so relevant to us, isn't it? And I hope it's, it's been grabbing your hearts, like it's been grabbing mine, grabbing your imagination as well. And I ended last Sunday saying the following, stick to the simplicity of the revealed word of God, stay in Christ, who is a colossal savior and who has colossal authority. We saw that last Sunday in chapter two as, as Jesus is portrayed as being the ultimate authority over all powers, visible, invisible. And so none of those philosophies and none of the religious stuff going on back in the day had any power over Christ. And you are warned against falling back into all those things. But I said, however, <laughs> living in the simplicity of the revealed word of God is not simple nor easy. <laughs> okay? It is challenging. And in chapter 3, Paul presents the Colossian believers with this tremendous challenge of living a life which is centered in Christ in the middle of a society steeped in paganism, in diverse philosophies and beliefs, in idolatry, and in the case of the Jews, religious legalisms. <laughs> I want us to try and imagine. You see, because we're reading it now, 2021, we've got like 2,000 years of history behind us, and we see things a little bit differently. But imagine those Christians in Colossae, new believers, many of them. Christianity is a new religion, a new form of belief, which is coming against all the other forms of beliefs. You know, they were used to syncretism, like I said, just adopting another belief on top of the others. But now here comes Christianity and says, no, you follow Christ to the exclusion of all the others. Huh? Imagine what it must have been like for them to live and navigate their lives through that. And now, of course, when this letter arrived, <clears throat> it uh, didn't come in chapter and verses like we've got here. The Bible was only subdivided in chapter and verses much later between the 13th and the 5th and 16th centuries is when the verses and books were added for ease to find passages easier. So they got this whole letter, you know, the whole four chapters of it, and they would come together and somebody would stand up and read the letter, like the whole thing. Okay, they go through the whole thing. And then they maybe talk a little bit about it, they pray, and obviously this would have happened more than once because it's a new community and you would come together, read this, and then encourage one another, pray for another, and help each other to live out the truths which were being brought through this letter. And you say, but Pastor, isn't that what you're doing here today? You know, you're, you're preaching the word and we, we encourage one another. Uh, yeah, except back then it was a new thing. Huh? And they had to navigate their lives through all this. 
And so for this chapter 3 of Colossians, I'm going to do almost like what they did back then. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. And with a little bit of a running commentary on the side. And I want you to listen very carefully because, as I said, in chapter 3, Paul kind of homes it in on the people. Chapter 1, he spoke about the colossal Savior we've got and his wonderful salvation. Chapter 2, he spoke about all the crazy beliefs going on back there and warning them not to fall into that, not to follow that, because Christ is the ultimate authority. He's got colossal authority. Now in this chapter, he brings it home to the people now. Chapter 3 naturally falls into two sections. The first, which is from verses 1 to 17, deals with personal Christian living. This is your life as an individual, how you live out before the Lord. And in the second section, which is the rest of the chapter, all the way to chapter 4, verse 1, the first verse of the fourth chapter actually belongs to chapter 3, okay? So put a little bracket over there, okay? So we're going to go on to that. So that, that second half deals with what Christian homes should look like. So just because Jesus provided this colossal salvation and we don't have to do anything to be saved. We don't have to go through rituals. We don't have to keep religious dates and holidays and all sorts of nonsense. Doesn't mean that we can live anywhere we like. <laughs> all right? Not at all. In fact, because we have been so greatly saved by this all-powerful colossal Savior, we need now to put some effort into living a life in accordance to what is pleasing to him and good for us. Amen? It wasn't just a matter of, you know, all these beliefs being not accepted by God. It was bad for the people. And so if we, we live according to Christ, not only is it pleasing to God, but it's also good for you, for me, for us. Amen? So here we go. Now, Chapter 3 begins like this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. He says your hearts and your minds. Jesus said where your heart is, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. If he's saying set your heart on things above, what is he saying? Let your treasure be above. Let your treasure be eternal. Everything in this world is going to pass away. So why on earth are we setting our hearts and our minds on worldly things which are going to pass away? It says hearts and mind, your passion, your thoughts, your planning, keep them grounded in heaven. Kind of an upside down ground, okay? Grounded in heaven, not on earthly things. Verse 3, for you died, past tense. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, when he returns, then you also will appear 
appear with him in glory. I want you to notice these three states. You died, now you are hidden in him, and when he returns, you will appear. Who you really are will be revealed. Listen, the world has no idea what Christianity and church is all about. They think we're a bunch of weirdos who talk to the wind and believe in what we can't see. Huh? Happy clappies, always singing, always having, you know. And, and it doesn't make sense to the world because it can't be measured. You can't see God. And so to the world, to a large extent, who we really are is hidden. They've got no idea that you and I are actually royalty. Huh? That one day we are going to rule the earth with Jesus. Because that's what it says in the Bible. We are going to come with him in glory. And he's going to reign. And for a thousand years, we are going to reign with him. You see, but the world doesn't know this. I hope you know this. We are right now hidden with Christ in God. Our position is a heavenly position. Although we're living on earth, we do, although we're surrounded by earthly things and we have to make life in this fallen planet, even as fallen humans, our life is actually, our position is in God. And when Jesus returns and this whole realm gets revealed, we will be revealed with him. And then people will see who we really are. Are you ready for that? You see, we have to, to wrap our minds around this somehow. <laughs> and then he says, because of all this, he says, put to death, therefore. Therefore, what? That therefore is there for a reason. Because you've, been, you've died, been raised, and in, hidden in Christ, will be revealed, you know. Because of these things, put to death whatever belongs your earthly nature. So you see, in chapter 2, the religions and the philosophies of this world wanted you to do certain things, wanted you to keep certain dates, to avoid eating certain foods, to behave in a certain way, to sacrifice yourself, you know, in order to please the gods, in order to look holy, in order to be religious. All these external things they asked you to do. And Paul says, stop it. That is worth nothing. But now he says, there are things that we have to put off and put on. And as we go through it, and as we go through this chapter 3, I want you just to listen very carefully and ask yourself, is this stuff only applicable to Colossae 2,000 years ago? Or is some of the stuff applicable to us today in Pretoria, in South Africa, across the world in 2021. Listen very carefully. See if some of these things that existed back then still exist today. And so, Paul begins here now a, a list of things we have to put to death. We have to take off, all right? Whatever belongs to your earthly nature 
Although you're dead in Christ, it's like Paul says, listen, this is who you are, therefore become who you are. And you become who you are by getting rid of some stuff. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Here we go. Sexual immorality. All forms of sexual immorality. Impurity. Lust. Evil desires. Do you think evil desires still exist today? Huh? And greed, which is idolatry. Okay, we have to put to death these things. Because of these things, listen, the wrath of God is coming, says verse 6. Now listen, God is patient. God is very, very patient. But listen, a day of reckoning is coming. God is very patient and he basically gives us basically our whole lives to make a decision for him and to decide how we're going to live for him or without him. But ultimately, a day of reckoning is coming because there are things which attract the wrath of God. Oh, but God is love. God will never get angry. Really? <laughs> Then he says in verse 7, listen to this. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. You see, these, as I say, it's a new congregation, new believers. Many of them lived like this in sexual immorality, in impurity, in lust, in evil desires, in idolatry, in all the stuff. The, the people of Colossae lived over there. Why? Because in Asia Minor, that was a normal way of life. In the Roman Empire, that was a normal way of life. It was acceptable. And I ask thee today, is it not becoming more and more acceptable in today's world to live like this? People don't care anymore. It's okay. You are free. You know, as long as it is, you know, conscientious, it's fine. You can do anything you want. You've got rights, right? <laughs> and you see what's happening here? But it says, you know, some of you, brothers and sisters, you used to be like that. And, and maybe some of us here were like that. Maybe you didn't practice some of the stuff, but you surely imagined it or considered it. Or if you could, <laughs> okay. Why do I say this? Because we all still have our human nature, our sinful nature. Now, some of us have been very fortunate in, 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 being, in being growing up. In, we grew up in maybe in Christian homes or heard the gospel from small. And it kind of kept us from some of these things. Some of us, even though we knew the gospel, we did them anyway, <laughs> okay, because of our human nature. And Paul is saying, listen, that is how you once lived, but says, but now, says, that's how you were, but now, now that you are in Christ, now that you've made the decision for Jesus, you must rid yourselves. And then he carries on, yeah, more things to put off. Rid yourselves of all such things as these Anger. Anybody ever get angry? Yeah? Anger, rage, malice, slander, you know, talking bad about others, you know, and filthy language from your lips. Huh. Do not lie to each other. 
getting quiet in the church here. <laughs> now you see, folks, now this, this bottom list over here, I, I confess, I get angry sometimes. Sometimes I get real ticked off, okay? <laughs> and I've got to check myself because I know, you see, because I know the word of God, when it happens, there's like a break that comes in. When he says, get rid of these things, doesn't mean you're never going to feel them. The temptation will be there. The emotions will be there. What do you do? You, 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 you get in charge. You get in control. And you get rid of it. You identify it as this is my flesh. This is not of Christ. Now and then you might get so angry. Maybe a swear word comes out of your lips. Have you lost your salvation? No. Get in charge of it. You know some people, as I do, they cannot have a normal conversation without every second word being a swear word. The only adjective they know to describe anything is a swear word. They don't know words such as great or awesome or big or bad. They've got to use the alternative. That's what he's talking about. Let not that kind of language come out of your lips. Learn some good words and use those. Expand your vocabulary, please. And use acceptable words, non-hurtful words, non-insulting words, no filthy language. And why does he say that? Verse 9, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Again, Paul declares what has happened and admonishes us to live according to who we are. Have you ever read a story or watched a movie about a, a simple boy or girl who grows up in a very ordinary life and is used to living the ways of the world, the ways of the street, the language of the street, you know, dressed any old way and so forth. And then one day, he or she finds out that they are actually royalty. They were taken away from the palace when they were children, whatever. And now they've got to go back to the palace and live as royalty. And all the trauma that goes now into having to learn how to speak properly and, and how to eat with forks and knives and, and how to walk and, and to dress and, and how to clean yourself because you've just discovered you are royalty. And so there's a transformation, isn't it? That's almost what Paul is doing over here. He's saying, no, you're not who you think you are. You're not from this world. That language, that behavior, those practices, that is not who you are. That's your old self. But because you came to Christ, your old self is dead. Is dead. You're actually royalty now. So let's get into the school of ethics here now and let's learn to be royalty. Royalty behaves in a certain way. Royalty speaks in a certain way. Royalty carries itself in a certain way. You are royalty. You're not anymore who you used to be. Okay? You have taken off your old self. 
might not look like it right now, but that's what happened. You see, because this transformation is a process. Your salvation is immediate. When you receive Christ, immediately you are saved. Hallelujah. But then this process of transformation takes time. Amen? Takes time to get rid of the old habits, the old language, the old way of thinking. But you must put effort into it. You must do it. You must do it. How many of you got dressed all by yourself this morning? Only two of you. Who dressed you? My wife loves me, but I dress myself in the morning. I take stuff off and I put stuff on. Just because I follow Jesus, he doesn't get me dressed in the morning. I got to do it. And just because you follow Jesus and you love Jesus, he's not going to do some things for you that you must do by yourself. Oh, but it's hard, Pastor, but it's difficult. Of course. That's why I call this one a colossal challenge. It's not easy. It's not easy. I'm telling you now. Simple, but not easy. It's simple to read, right? Oh, do, do, chuck this out, put this on. Easy. Take me five minutes to read all that slowly. <laughs> the application takes a bit longer. Hmm. Amen? But it says, you have put on the new self. And then he goes on, he says, now here, in this process, in the church, in, in the group he's talking to, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Oh, you see, when you start reading all these things, you must put off, must put on language and so on. People might say, oh, but the tribe I come from, we speak like this. Hmm? The tribe I come from, that's how we do things. The nation I come from, that is how we behave. Hmm. Paul saying, hey, around here, in the church of Jesus Christ, doesn't count. Your nationality your ethnicity, your social status, how much money you've got in the bank or how little money you've got in the bank, here it means nothing. Because we are all in Christ and Christ is in all of us. Hallelujah. We are one. In the natural, we may have fights. There might be tribe against tribe, nation against nation, but in Christ, we are one. And that's what the world cannot understand. <laughs> it is so, so funny, you know, as, as I've traveled to some nations of the world and I arrive there and I'm in family. The people might look different than what I do, but we there, we hug each other when we could hug each other, you know, and, uh, and we are having a wonderful time together and, and people are going by, like in the airport and they're just staring what's going on here. We are one. That's what's going on. Don't care what social level, what nationality, what tribe, what ethnic group. In Christ, we are one. <clears throat> Amen? And that is powerful stuff. And so, 
That's what Paul is mentioning because, see, that church in Colossae was a very mixed bunch of people. They had all these kinds of people in there. And as you know, it is natural for us. Oh, that the Portuguese get together over here, and the Dutch get together over there, and the Japanese get together over there, and the Zulus get together over here, you know. Now, it is a natural thing. And it's okay to have friends of your own ethnic group. But when it comes to following Jesus, we are all one. Our language is the kingdom language. We love one another. We help one another. We, we stick together for the Lord. And the world looks from outside and it sees all these groups here worshiping together and hugging and, you know, what's going on? It's Jesus Christ in us and us in Christ. And then he says, therefore, because of this, because there is no difference, because you are all one, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now, he's given us a couple of things to take off. Now we're standing naked over here because he took all these things off. Now he's saying, okay, now put on some things now. Okay, here you go. What do you put on? Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and patience. <laughs> Believe me, if you're going to work with other people, if you're going to work with family, if you're going to work with church, if you're going to work with colleagues at work, if you're going to live with more than one person in this world, you need patience, you need all these things. Because we might be saved, but we're still in this world. The flesh is still there. Hmm. Okay. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How much have you been forgiven by the Lord? Where would you be if the Lord had not forgiven you? Huh? In the same way, forgive others. Amen. Sure. See, these, these traits will result... In, in better relationships. And, and the church is a good place to start practicing these things. Amen? We are going to rub shoulders and some people you're not going to like in the church. You might not like, not like me sometimes because of things I say. I'm just a messenger, okay? But it's normal. I don't have to like everybody, but guess what? I must love everybody. And there's a difference. There's a difference. Okay? I might not agree. For example, you might like a certain food which I don't like. You enjoy it. I go, you know. And then I'll show you my anchovy pizza. And you go, oh, anchovies. <laughs> but I still love you. And you still love me. And we can still help each other in other ways. We'll just avoid each other's food, okay? Love. And then he says, verse 14. And over all these virtues, over all the compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, bearing with each other, over everything, it says, put on love, which is the word agape, the Greek word agape, which means that kind of love that wants the best for the other. Above everything, put on agape, put on that sincere desire for the best of the other. 
I want the best for you, brother. Yes, I might not like everything you like. I might not enjoy everything you enjoy, but I want the best for you. I want you to be fulfilled. I want you to be happy. I want you to be healthy. I want you to make it to heaven. I want you to have a great life in this planet. I want you to have a great eternal life because I love you. And I'll pray for you. And I'll cry with you and I'll laugh with you. And he says, put on agape. Put on agape. Now check this out. Which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, if you can connect to agape, agape brings everything else. The compassion, the kindness, humility, everything else brings them all together in perfect unity. And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful let the peace of christ rule that word rule also means it's like an umpire like a, a judge like someone who coordinates coordinates your heart yes you want the peace of god to be in your heart you must be at peace even though outside things might be in turmoil you have inner peace but it also means let the peace of God judge and guide your heart. When you're making decisions, if you don't feel peace about it in your heart, be careful. Amen? Somebody invites you for a business deal, and it's exciting. But you don't feel peace in your heart. Let the peace of God rule your heart. Beware. Be careful. If there is peace, hallelujah, let's go. If there isn't peace, woe. Take a step back. Be very careful. Let the peace of God rule your hearts. Not just be in your hearts, but rule your hearts and guide your decisions. And then he says, and be thankful. You're going to see that he says a lot, talks a lot about being thankful. Not just in this chapter, but in the whole book. And then he says in verse 16, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude, again here we go, in your hearts. Now I could preach just on this verse. There's a whole thing on worship over here. You see, Christians are worshipers. We like to sing. We like to make, lift our voices to God and make melody to God. And it says the different things we do, you know, through Psalms. He's talking about the, the Psaltery, the Jewish Psaltery, the book of Psalms. A lot of the songs we sing here are actually based on the book of Psalms. Throughout the, the church age, we've been singing Psalms. And then he says, and then uh, hymns. Hymns are songs birthed out of our experience. We write songs which include the word of God, talks about our experience, talks about the grace of God. Those are hymns, songs that we, we created. And then songs from the Spirit, which are spontaneous songs which come at the moment. You can sing them in your language, you can sing them in tongues, doesn't matter. It's songs which come from your spirit, odes to God, which happen spontaneously at the moment. And very often when you just sing and we give time just with, with playing chords and so on, it's a good time for us to sing our own words to God. Just say what's in your heart. Say it in your own language. Speak in tongues if you have that freedom. Doesn't matter. But make melody in your hearts to the Lord. And don't limit yourself to church. Sing in your car. Sing at home. Sing while you're walking. Make melody in your heart to God. Amen. And then, verse 17 is a key verse. And whatever you do, and whatever means 
whatever, because that is what whatever means. Okay? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wow. It's an, I think this verse kind of summarizes this whole chapter. It's actually, it's a key verse for the book. But in terms of our behavior, this is it. No matter what you do, recreation, work, worship, home, family, fun, eating, whatever it is, do it all unto the Lord. Amen? With thanksgiving. Be grateful. And then the, sec- the next section talks about the home or household. But let me tell you a little bit about the home or household in the first century. Remember, this is a Roman culture they're living under. Everybody's kind of into that culture. And in a, in a Roman household, there was the husband, the wife, the children, and the slaves. They all form part of the household. They all lived under the same roof or in the same property anyway. The servants didn't go home in the evening or on the weekend. No, they lived in your house. There was, slavery was common in those days. Now, the Bible does not condone slavery, but it's interesting what Paul writes here. Between this letter and other letters that he wrote, he actually began a movement to change slavery. There are some things in culture which you can't change overnight. You've got to plant a seed, and then slowly the culture changes. And so in the home in Rome, man, the man, the male, he was the husband, he was the father, and he was the master. He was the husband of the wife, the father of the children, and the master of the slaves. The richer he was, the more slaves he had, of course. All right? Women, children, and slaves were considered a lower position in that society. They did not have value. Man did everything. He was the macho guy. He was the figure. Women, children, slaves were there for the service of the man. That is the picture under which they lived. Okay? Try to understand that. So, the following section challenged that Roman mindset. Listen to this. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, Do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to carry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it, with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. 
since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And that is anyone, master or slave, whatever. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their, their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and what is fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven who is Jesus. Hmm. Wow. The key word here is submission on all of them. It means respect. It means to act in love. It does not mean to give up your identity or your dignity. This concept of submission has been distorted and abused over the centuries. But the biblical context is clear. It is based on love, agape love, and on the understanding that we all have a master, Christ. How does he treat us? That is the basis of how we treat one another. What happened in the home would be taken outside the home too. The writings of Paul, especially his letter to Philemon, formed the basis for an anti-slavery movement, which over the years progressed until slavery was abolished. Unfortunately, slavery is actually still with us today. Human trafficking is its ugliest form today. But another subtle form is the abuse of power that some employers have over their employees. The warning is clear here. Yeah. We must all give an account to our master in heaven and he will judge righteously with no favoritism. Hmm? Food for thought here, folks. Well, that's chapter 3. Challenging, isn't it? Very, very challenging. Of course, today, we could say master-slaves, bosses, and employees kind of thing. You know, we've kind of taken out-of-the-house context. But the principles still apply. And to live like this, to live this chapter 3, both individually and uh, at home, in the church, or in society... As you've heard, it's clearly not easy. Although we are saved, our human nature remains strong, filled by the pressures and temptations of the world. Can we live like this? Can we live chapter 3 out? You see, if the Lord requires something from us that we could not do, it would not be right. Amen? Jesus himself accused the Pharisees and scribes of putting religious burden on their people which they themselves wouldn't carry. The fact is that the Lord helps us to do what he instructs us to do. 
That's why at the very beginning it says your mind and your heart must be in heavenly things. You must understand that you are in Christ. You see, in Christ, if you, are, if you carry that awareness with you, you can do this. If you're not aware of Christ in you, if you don't spend time with him, if you're not connected to the Lord, you will not do this. Your flesh will win every single time. Because you cannot do this on your own strength. You cannot change yourself. If you could, Jesus wouldn't need to come. We need to set our minds and our hearts on him. We need to set our minds and hearts on heavenly things. Now, this does not mean that we do not take care of our material lives on earth. Amen? Put your heart, your mind on heavenly things. Doesn't mean we, we, we just float here looking at the skies. No, no, no. We have a life to live down here as well. We must take care of our business here on earth. But we do it in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Not in the way of the world where I am number one, I am selfish, and I do whatever I can to please me. I don't care how much I hurt you, as long as I'm okay, it's okay. That's the way of the world. The way of God is agape. Amen? We do it to please him, and he meets our needs. We let agape love for all areas of our lives. Even when we disagree, we do it in a way that pleases the Lord, amen, and we don't do it the world's way. Hello? Listen, we died. We are hidden in him. We shall be revealed when he appears. And this is the process of salvation. We are saved. We are being saved. And we shall be saved, remember? This is a colossal challenge in these days where the world is becoming increasingly secular, critical of Christianity and of biblical values, open to a plurality of beliefs, exalting Mother Earth. You've heard that? Exalting Mother Earth above its creator. And ignoring God's moral code. That's the world we live in today. This letter has a specific application to the church in Colossae and the surrounding areas. As we, as, we, as we shall see, this letter was meant to be read in the churches around Colossae too. But listen. Think with me. I think this letter has a wider application to the church as a whole today in the whole world. What do you think? As you, as you listen this morning, could you see the similarities of culture back then and culture today? Can you see that the things that they had to put off then, we still have to put off today? That the things they had to put on back then, we still need to put on today. It's just as applicable today as it was back 2,000 years ago. The question is, are you willing to embrace this colossal challenge? <laughs> That's the question. You see, if you understand that you have a colossal Savior who has provided a colossal salvation to you and who has 
colossal authority. Hallelujah. In the universe. <laughs> and that you are hidden in him. Then we can confidently say. It won't be easy. But in him. I take up the challenge. And I think. Many of you today need to stop a little bit. Think about this lesson today. And look at your lives. And see what you have allowed from this world to creep into your daily living. Into your thoughts. Into your language. Into your habits. What about your family life? What about your work ethics? Church, I want you to think about this seriously. Like Paul, I want the best for you as well. As followers of Christ. I have to keep this before me. Constantly. I'm a human too. And it's a challenge to think about this. And to get rid of of those things which are not pleasing the Lord, which are not honoring the Lord, which are destroying my life, my emotions, my body even. What do you need to put on and what do you need to put off today? I pray that you'll allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let the Lord speak to us individually. I don't want people coming over here and, and making confessions. No. This is between you and the Lord. But you know who you are. You know what you need to give up. You know what you need to stop doing. You know what you need to start doing. And you know you should be doing it. But there's always a, something postponing, postponing. And the Lord has been speaking to you. You know that. Well, the Lord is reminding you again today. Get on with it. Put on. The things that he wants you to put on. Put off the things that he wants you to put off. Don't let your culture, your home, the way you grew up, where you live right now, your friends at work, your family even, be in the way of you and Jesus. Those things will mean nothing when you stand before the Lord one day. Remember, you have died. You are dead. And dead people don't react to all that stuff. So let's live for the Lord. I mean, please go home. Read this chapter again. Read it slowly. <laughs> Maybe discuss it with someone. Amen. Next week. We will meet for communion and we will complete this series as we end the series then with a colossal calling. Paul doesn't stop here. After giving us this colossal challenge, he follows it through with a colossal calling. Okay? Read through Colossians during the week and we'll meet again next week for communion and for the closure of this series. Amen. Let's stand up. Let us close in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
Oh, God. Lord, I pray that everyone watching, everyone listening, everyone here, Lord God, I pray that every one of us would be good soil for the good seed of your word that went out today, Lord. Let this word find root and meaning in our hearts. Lord, you know each one of us, Lord. You know the things we need to stop, the things we need to start, the things we need to put off, the things we need to put on. You know our struggles, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that today an awareness of your greatness would again encompass our hearts and minds. That we would understand the fact that because we are in you, we can do what you call us to do. Help my brothers and sisters, Lord, to take up this challenge. Let it be a turning moment in many people's lives, Lord, to give up things that don't please you and to do things which please you, Lord God. Things that are good for them as well, Lord God, that will benefit them. Help us, Lord to embrace this colossal challenge, Lord, and live lives pleasing to you, my Lord. That truly, Lord, for all of us, whatever we do, whether it is in word or deed, dear God, let it be done in the name of the Lord Jesus as we give thanks to God the Father through him for your glory and honor, we pray, Lord. And now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us, enabling us to take up and live out this colossal challenge to the glory of the Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, a great week, and see you next week for the closing of this series. Amen. Amen.